Welcome back to an uproarious profundity. It is unconventional wisdom for you, my fellow spiritually attuned go-getter. I am your host, Meggie Lee Calvin. Friends call me Meg. Feel free to do the same. I am a coach, I'm a best-selling author, and I'm also a podcaster, which is why I'm hanging out your earbuds. And today, your earbuds will be doubly blessed because we have a friend of mine, Priscilla Hinkle, is here. She is the founder of Rise All In, a company and community dedicated to helping women, entrepreneurs, and creators soar through leadership development, online business growth, and psychology-driven marketing. She's been published on Huffington Post and Thrive Global, and she has a bachelor's in behavioral science, a master's in adult education and training, and spent her whole career prior to starting her business in the higher education sector, where she created online courses for some of the largest private universities in the country and also teaching online undergraduate students for seven years. Priscilla has a passion for human development, loves to experience life through different perspectives, questions the status quo, and is a self-described rebel with lots of causes. And to you, friend, we say, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Meg. Yes, this is such a glorious reunion as the last time we got to be in person together was in August and it's now the end of October. So I, I've, I've missed I've missed being with you. I'm glad we get to be together for the next hour. I know. I'm excited about this. All right. You bravely committed. So we now dive into this or that. Okay, let's do it. Comedy or action movie? Action. Gap or Old Navy? Old Navy. Deep sea diving or outer space travel? Oh, man. I think deep sea diving. Fiction or nonfiction? <sighs> Fiction. Fall or spring or winter? Spring. Curl your hair or straighten your hair? Curl my hair. Marvel or DC? Marvel. Sandals or heels? Sandals. Mountain skiing or ocean swimming? Ocean swimming for sure. Pedicure to a stranger or be a boss at McDonald's for the day? Oh my gosh. I think the pedicure. (laughs) Yeah. A whole day compared to like 30 minutes. Totally doable. Yes. (laughs) And last but not least, soup or coconut shrimp? Mm, Soup, I think. Awesome. Congratulations. You survived one of three rounds. Yay! Ready for the second. Complete this sentence. One trend that I will never understand is... 
Crocs. <laughs> My daughter had just had those on today for our walk, and I remember thinking how those were so in my last year of college, so circa 07 to 08, and I wore them at the coffee shop I worked at. And yeah, they're not, they're not, aren't they meant to be a garden shoe? I have no idea what they're <laughs> meant to be, but I just hate them as a passion. <laughs> People that wear them say, oh, they're the most comfortable things ever, but I just think they're so ugly. I just couldn't wear one. So <laughs> I never got the craze over it. And it like, I'm from Brazil, so obviously still have family and friends there. And the trend caught on there too. So I had lots of friends that would post pictures and I was like, what is, what is it with this? I don't get it. (laughs) (laughs) Do you let your sons wear them? Nope. (laughs) (laughs) I had a feeling you'd say that. That's awesome. (laughs) No, never bought them once, but never will. (laughs) If they ever do, it's because somebody else gave them the present. So. Mm -hmm. That is so funny. And they've they've lasted forever. They've been a trend that just won't go away. I know. It's like they became less popular for a while. Uh, You know, they had stores popping up everywhere, at least here in Arizona. And then they kind of all went away. But they're coming back, it seems, with different styles and everything. So it's interesting to see. So interesting. Yeah. One book that changed my life was? Oh, so this was a John Maxwell book called Failing Forward. Ooh, I've heard of that one. It is really good. How is it different than other books? Well, for me, I I don't think it's necessarily different. It's just he has a very conversational style. um, And for me at the time... I was going through some self-discovery in a way that I had never done before. I've always been a perfectionist. I call myself a perfectionist in recovery today. Awesome. <laughs> so, uh, so I've always had very a lot of difficulty um, with failing, with failure. Like I would call myself names in my head and just feel bad about it and it would almost be depressing. Like I did not take Mm. failure. Well, I was such a high achiever. And when things didn't work out for me, depending on the level of importance that it held, it was just really, really hard. And so reading that book completely changed my perspective. And that was before I got into coaching and everything. So it was several years back, but it was a, it was the right book at the right time for me. That's perfect. I just read this amazing quote that was, never speak unkindly about your body, even if being sarcastic, because your body doesn't pick up on sarcasm. I butchered the quote, but it was something like, even if you're joking, your body can't tell the difference. Like It just focuses on the words. I thought, oh my goodness. Oh, that is so powerful. Yeah, for reals. America could learn a lot about blank from the country of blank. Ooh, I will say America could learn a lot about hugging from Brazil. <laughs> Ooh, I love that. I love that. Oh, did they hold on to hugs? Yes. And kissing on the cheeks too. I think the whole greeting um, part of it 
is more what I'm getting at. Like, that was one of the hardest things for me to adapt to here in the US. And I think I finally have after all these years. But I miss it. I miss it a lot. It's one mm -hmm. of the things that when I go home to visit family and friends, I just cherish so much being able to hug and kiss everybody on the cheeks. And yeah. here, a lot of some people, you'll meet some people that are more touchy feely, but most people are like, stay away from me. Here's my personal bubble. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. It's really different. So, yeah, I think people would be happier if they'd give you know, a little bit more hugs and kisses on the cheeks. <laughs> oh, yes. It reminds me of when Henley, my, our daughter was first born and just the importance that we read about in baby books and our parenting coach was telling us about the importance of touch in helping her brain develop. And um, so kisses on her head and back rubs and then belly rubs and holding her hand while she was nursing and just the importance of touch for brain development. And I was thinking recently when we lived this twilight zone that we're still kind of in because of the pandemic, yeah. that it took away our ability to, to be touched in an appropriate way, hugs and what and kisses, kisses on the cheek. And I just thought about how so many of us, although we're adults that really were like newborn babies and our brains still need touch to develop in a healthy way. Yeah, for reals. I mean, a few years back, I saw something on TV It was a report of some sort how there are professional cuddlers and oh, it was wow. showing the guy in New York City how he made money, basically his living. He would go into people's apartments in New York and just cuddle with them, obviously non-sexually. Right. And it was about the science behind that and how so many people are so lonely. They don't have anybody to hug and they need that physical touch. So mm -hmm. they hire people like him and I'm like, see, this is... This is what we need. Yes. <laughs> we need to hug more. That's amazing. It's like the era of the entrepreneur. <laughs> There's a professional cuddler who's probably making bank because he had this great idea that met a huge need. <laughs> yes, for reals. One mystical experience that I had was in blank. My teenage years, probably when I was about... 17-ish, I would say. Mm. Very cool. Yeah. Do you oh need me to say more? Oh, I'm on the edge of my seat to know more. So I'm going to throw the script out the door and say, yes, tell me more. <laughs> well, I think it was just, you know, at the time I was going through just a lot. My parents had recently divorced And I wasn't getting along with my mom very well. I was living with her. Both my brother and I, post-divorce, moved in with my mom. And um, I just had this spiritual experience that I had never had before. Like, mm. I prayed for something and asked for an answer. And I opened my scriptures And as soon as I opened, my, like with my eyes closed, and as soon as I opened my eyes and looked at the the book, the scripture that my eyes landed on was just perfect for what I had asked for. And that was really profound to me. Oh, wow. What physical sensation did you feel when you read that? Did you get chills or was it, did your heart skip a beat? Yeah, I mean, I think I cried a little because I felt like God's hearing me, you know, he's here with me. He knows of 
what I'm, he knows of what I'm going through and what I need. And it really felt like a, a prayer answered instantaneously, which it had never been my experience. Like mm-hmm. every time that I prayed for something, it would either not happen or it would happen like a long time afterwards. Nothing ever so instantaneous. So that that was probably what made it more powerful to me was that mm-hmm. it was literally like I asked for it. I prayed for it. I asked for it. I opened my eyes and there it was like it felt like the perfect answer. Oh, my goodness. And then that mystical moment guided you in a way that was beneficial to you and your life. And I assume to others. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I was recently visiting with a friend who wanted to share a spiritual experience with me. And he kind of told me some of the parts of it, but we haven't got to meet up for coffee and hear the whole story. And from what he's told me, it's something that I have not yet experienced. And maybe I never will, but I've experienced lots of spiritual things that others might laugh at or think that's ridiculous and not believe. And that's okay. And I was thinking, I was telling, I was telling Garrett that I can, I don't really, I was like preparing myself to go into this conversation and it, I I was sharing with Garrett that I don't necessarily have to believe that he actually experienced this, what I'm most interested in for anyone's spiritual experience and my, especially my own, since that's the only one I have, like, that's the, my opinion only matters for my own spiritual journey, really. But I love to hear like the, the results of the mystical experience. Like, did it benefit your character? Did it benefit your family? Did it, did it help you make a decision that you were struggling with? Did it bring you comfort? And so I don't, whatever this friend has to share with me, even if I've find it unbelievable, that doesn't matter. I really, all that matters is how did it benefit him? That was a long yeah. ramp. That was a long ramble, but that's the conclusion I've come to about these amazing mystical experiences we all have. Yeah. It's a good conclusion. I think. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for the affirmation. Yeah. <laughs> One lesson that I feel I've been learning my whole life is that others are less blank than I once thought. Sure of themselves. Mm. I love that. Yeah. I think most people are pretty good, especially as adults. Um, most people are pretty good at giving this impression that they've got it handled, life is great, but if you dig in a little bit more and get closer, um, you see that everybody just doesn't know what the heck they're doing, <laughs> just getting from day to day, trying to figure it out, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so comforting. We're all just on the journey. Yes. Yes. And last question in this section, one lesson that I feel I have been learning my whole life is that I am more blank than I once thought. Ooh, I think, oh, there's lots I could say here, Mm -hmm. but I think I will say, um, I am more, um, closed off to other people that I once Mm. thought and I don't mean closed off in the sense that people can't get close to me I mean you've met me I'm pretty warm and I give this 
impression to people that I'm sort of an open book, you know, I will share things about myself and everything, but in my really close relationships, um, and I mean really close, like even with my kids, I would put romantic relationships into this category as well. My mom, like people that are really, really important in my life. If something is wrong and I'm deeply hurt about something, it may be to do with them or not, but I will sort of shut down or I have in the past. I'm hoping that moving forward, that will not be one of my patterns. And <laughs> that was one of the things that I was working on when we met. So, um, but basically I, I, I just kind of suffer alone mm. and I won't share what exactly is bothering me or what I need help with. It, it almost is, there's almost a component of pride in that, if you will, that I feel or have felt in the past that I needed to do it on my own, that I couldn't let other people share in the experience with me. And I've realized, especially through the experience we went through together in, in Texas a couple months ago, that it is okay for me to let other people share in the experience with me. And so I think there is a component there of being afraid to be judged and not wanting to be really vulnerable in the moments that I most need to be vulnerable with other people. So I think I've always seen myself as, oh, I'm pretty vulnerable. I share things, you know, I'll say what's bothering me and whatnot. But I realize that when there are things that are really, really, really pivotal and really important, I have tended to close off instead. That's so fascinating. I wonder if there's a connection in our culture between the lack of kisses on the cheek and hugs and this inclination to be closed off when we're in pain because a lot of us struggle with that. I wonder if we were to spend a week (laughs) in Brazil where we were greeted with such vulnerability and authenticity and closeness, if that would change how we view Uh, That's an interesting, that's an interesting question because looking back, I do think that I did that in my childhood too. Okay. I don't think it's something, I think there's a part of my experience because I've now been in the U.S. for half of my life and pretty much as an adult, that's all I've ever known is living here. Um, I think there's a part of me that feels what you're saying resonates because there was a lot of a lot of internal struggles that I went through in trying to assimilate the culture and to fit in and you know the fear of being judged and trying to learn the language and master the language and all of those things and there were very um vulnerable situations that I went through in all of that process, you know, people laughing at you or making fun or discrimination, whatever. And those things, I think, had a, um, a piece or a component, at least, of 
closing me off a little bit in certain situations where I'm like, I've got this handled, I will handle this by myself. And then I would just kind of suffer in, in silence, if you will. Um, but I won't say that it's the only thing because I definitely had situations in my childhood where, where I did that too. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I also love what you said about giving others you might not have said the gift of experience, but just welcoming others into the experience of your pain. I, I too, my, my eyes have been open to the gift that that can be for someone to let them comfort me, let them see me in my, see all of me in my, my grief and my loss and my confusion. Like that's a been, a, that's been a paradigm shift of mine lately, that that is, that is a, a gift when we love someone enough and give them the honor of joining us in that. Yeah. Yeah. We now exit out of complete the sentence into the ridiculousness of just because. Okay. Just because if you were transported 400 years into the past with no clothes or anything else, how would you prove that you were from the future? So mathematic, <laughs> mathematically, is this six, 1600-ish? Uh-huh. Okay. Is this outlaw inspired or something? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it should be. It should be. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I love that show. I need to watch uh, seasons uh, five and six. Anyway, um, you know, I – honestly, that's a really great question because – would I uh, watching that show? This is why I brought it up. Like, mm -hmm. is this on Outlander? Um, I don't know that I would want to prove to people that I'm from the future. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, they were so, um, they were so uh, prone to believing in in witches and that kind of a thing. I think it would put my life at risk too much. I don't know that I would want them knowing. You know, that's mm -hmm. the interesting part of that show and how the main character, she eventually discloses it to some people. But she did get accused of being a witch too. So, yeah, I don't know that I would want to prove to anybody that I'm from the future. I think mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> I think these days I'm more in the, I don't need to prove or defend. <laughs> right? <laughs> Unless I wanted to really get back home and had no way of doing it, um, you know, on my own and really needed someone's help, then maybe I would need to prove it to them. Um, like in the show, I guess that happens too. But I don't know if I absolutely had to prove that I'm from the future. Um, I think anything electronic would scared the hell out of people <laughs> yes in that age <laughs> totally yes <laughs> like a cell phone or even like your your apple watch i don't know something that is small enough that you could carry without you know like not a computer not something that big but that you could show look look how this works you can take pictures and you know obviously internet would not work but you could show different things and say this is what we do in the future kind of a thing mm -hmm. yes I agree and I too thought of Outlander that if I didn't have and I've only made it through like 
the first season. So, um, but I thought about how if we didn't have technology to show them, it would need to be like something about anatomy or the medical field that they didn't know then, but now we do know. So um, I was thinking about maybe I could teach them about birth control. That would blow their minds. I don't think the condom was around in the 1600s. They might not have even known. Yes, as so. you were talking about that, I just a condom came to mind. Yes, I'm pretty sure they didn't have that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, that would be a very simple device to say, hey, yes Yes, prepare to have a lot less children and yes (laughs) what fictional character is amazing in their book show or movie but would be insufferable if you had to deal with them in mundane everyday situations oh i several characters came to mind I will say one that will probably be controversial for those who watch the show, but I will say Ted Lasso. I love Ted Lasso (laughs) with a passion. Like, I love the show. I love his character. But I think, obviously, for those who are watching the show and have seen season two, where there has been more character development, I won't spoil it, I promise, but it's easy to (laughs) how all his happy-go-lucky attitude masks uh, a lot of pain. And sometimes there's almost this Pollyanna um, tone to it where he's trying to use that to fix things or not deal with things when other people come to him. And that would, I think, someone being happy like that all the time, all the time, (laughs) (laughs) trying to fix things uh, with that attitude would probably drive me bonkers a little bit. (laughs) Oh my gosh, you're so right. I'm all caught up and I totally agree with you 100% now that I know, now that we know everything about his life. And yes, that would be, that would get annoying. That would that could get annoying. Totally. Yeah. Yes. If you die and find out that everyone gets to choose a 12 foot by 12 foot square to stay in alone for eternity without being able to influence or contact the living world, what 12 by 12 foot square would you choose? There's so much that's left unsaid in this question. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like, well, feel free to fill it. um, Tell me what you would like to say. What's incomplete about it? I'm like, well, can there be, can there be people around me from the world beyond in which I am? (laughs) Like maybe just, I can't influence or, or do anything with those that are living, but could my, my 12 by 12 square be next to people who have passed as well that, you know, I, I love or respect or admire. Ooh, That's probably yes. what I would choose. I love that. I love that. All yeah. That's amazing. All I, all that came to me was a, a really, really, really plush, fluffy, like the softest, 
material ever that I could, because my imagination could take me places that I wanted to go. But if I had a soft environment to relax and do mindfulness breathing, <laughs> I could be okay. That was, but I love your idea so much better. Like I, like the walls, you're right to be able to connect to those that have, that are not in the living world, but are in whatever lay, lies beyond. Yes. I love that. Speaking of spirituality, would you consider yourself a spiritually attuned go-getter? Yes, I would. I had a feeling you could say, yeah. I I was going to say, I never thought about that until I started listening to your podcast and um, saw you asking that question or heard you asking that question to other people that you've interviewed. Um, I never really thought about myself that way, but I do have a great deal of intuition about people. And so Mm. I would say yes. I love the connection between intuition and spiritually attuned go-getter. That makes perfect sense. Since intuition is our God compass or how we connect, how the divine connects to us and guides us. And yeah, I love that. Well, our listener, most likely who's hanging out with us, is also a spiritually attuned go-getter. And if that is the case, you might be interested in my little theological, satirical self-help book. If Seth Meyers and a nun were to conceive a book baby, it would be this book. I Am My Own Sanctuary, How Recovering Holy Roller Found Healing and Power is, as NPR's David Dalt called it, a full steam comedic rant. This satirical Amazon bestseller was written for other recovering people pleasers and encourages them to own the power of the divine within in order to take back the power over their lives from others. I love to help people move with more confidence, even if sometimes you feel like a fake, while still making time for your kids and without disappointing those that you respect. So head on over to Amazon, get it on paperback, Kindle, or audiobook, And if you're thinking, Meg, I want to test drive your book before I commit to buying it, then go to megcalvin.com. You get the first chapter for free. So you can test drive it before your own copy sits on your coffee table. And without further ado, let's backtrack back to Marvel or DC. And you shared Marvel, which I'm guessing that Wonder, not Wonder Woman, Black Widow is part of the Marvel family? Oh, yes, she is. Awesome. And I know that because this is, you were so beautiful on social media in your Black Widow costume. And it's not only special because you look really beautiful and hot in the costume, but it's also special because this was your, this is your first Halloween costume ever. Is that right? Yes, (laughs) pretty much. Well, thank you for the compliment, first and foremost. Um, Yeah, I mean, today, Halloween is celebrated in Brazil, like, like any holiday, I see my friends and family posting pictures on social media, especially if they have kids, their kids going to school dressed up and all that. But when I was growing up, um, living there, it wasn't a thing. And Mm. so I, I didn't ever really dress up. I mean, we have other holidays, but not Halloween. And um, it's just not a Brazilian thing. And so 
I never really dressed up as a kid. And then when I came here, I was 19. Um, I never dressed up either. <laughs> like, obviously, it wasn't until I had kids that I felt like I may have a reason to dress up. But my main goal at that point was just to take them you know, from door to door and let them have all the fun. I never, I think there were years, especially as my kids got older and I had both of them where we talked as a family, oh, let's dress up as, you know, this theme. Like we've talked about the Incredibles and different things like that, but we never did it. There were a couple of years ago, I think it was 2019, Um, My kids both dressed up as Harry Potter characters, and I tried ordering uh, a skirt and a shirt and a tie from Amazon to dress up as Hermione, but when it arrived, it arrived on Halloween day, and it was the wrong size. It was too small. (laughs) Oh, no. Hit me. So I couldn't really wear it, you know, kind of ruined the plan. So I went out with them, but I wasn't dressed up. And then obviously last year, it was what it was, you know, Halloween in the middle of the pandemic. We actually traveled <laughs> up north in Arizona to the mountains. It was not snowing quite yet, but it was super, super cold. So we just stayed indoors inside this cabin that we had rented and just played games and had fun as a family. But we didn't go trick-or-treating or anything. Even my kids decided not to dress up. And so this year was the first year that um, I was like, okay, I am going to buy an actual costume. I'm not going to try to make something. <laughs> and so I looked at the the different reviews and the different styles, and I ordered the one that you saw the picture of, and it arrived um, that week when I when I posted the picture. It was that day that it had arrived, and I tried it on and took the pictures. So, yeah, it's my first time, and I kind of like it. I'm like, I dig yeah. this. <laughs> Now I know why the kids like it so much. And throughout the year, they just like, Mom, where's my costume for this? I want to wear it. <laughs> that's so amazing. And that's, there's so much going, so much beauty and going on under the surface. Like it's so much more than a costume for, for you. It sounds like that's huge. Yeah, it was, it was really fun. So we, and we had this week, um, this week we had a fall festival here in the neighborhood and they encouraged everybody to wear costumes and everything. It was on Thursday and my kids wore their costumes and I wore mine and I was commenting with a friend afterwards. I think I was the only adult with a costume and, <laughs> and I want of the entire neighborhood, like this is hundreds of people out there in the field. <laughs> and I don't think I saw one adult that was properly dressed up in a costume. And I was definitely the only um, Black Widow. So I was very proud of that. I was like, yay, she's not super popular yet. So I'm like the only one and I'm the only parent willing to embarrass herself in front of all my neighbors and those that I don't know. (laughs) Oh, that's so awesome. No embarrassing. You look so gorgeous and I, I love it. I, I'm, I'm similar. I'm usually the, one of the few parents dressed up and it's, 
just so much fun and and this this costume it was one of the many moments over the past three years that you've did what you desired it feels like instead of what others desired for you is that a safe observation yeah I would say so I would say so I definitely wanted to do it um to create memories with my kids. I was hoping that we would be a Marvel family, but yeah. my oldest decided to put a kibosh on that plan. <laughs> <laughs> he talked at some point about being Loki. My younger nine-year-old was um, Iron Man. And um, so he was Iron Man and I was Black Widow. And we're like, okay, Andrew, who are you going to be? And it's like, maybe I'll be Loki. And, but he, he didn't in the end, um, he went dressed up as an FBI agent <laughs> to, to the fall festival. And, um, next week we had next Saturday, we have, um, another party to go to. Plus it's going to be Halloween itself on Sunday, They'll probably just wear the same thing, I'm assuming. I mean, I definitely know that my nine-year-old will be Iron Man. Um, <laughs> I don't know about the 15-year-old, what his plan's going to be. But it's not going to be Marvel because he doesn't have anything. And mm -hmm. so... You're all... It be, yeah, it will be at least just, you know, the two of us Marvel people. <laughs> <laughs> Fighting justice from different angles. You're all justice yep. fighters. Absolutely. <laughs> We're the good guys. The good guys. Everybody would say that about the FBI or superheroes, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Come villains in the mind of other people too, but yes. we're going with the good guy angle. Yes. Well, speaking of switching teams, if I may attempt a strong transition, speaking of yeah. switching teams, was it three, three years ago, four years ago, you... I would imagine it was before that you started feeling nudges to leave your your religion that you'd been a part of for many years. I'm I'm curious, selfishly curious, and I know our listener is too, like how did you know what were some signs that it was time to leave that religion? You know, it was a very gradual thing that happened. It wasn't a planned thing. Um I was going through my divorce, so it was about four years ago exactly when I approached my now ex-husband and told him I want a divorce. And we had had that conversation many times before, but I had never had gone through with it, just never had the courage to. At that time, though, I was decided that now mm. this is not just going to be a conversation, this is going to happen. and so. The way that things unfolded once I told him and he saw that it was serious, that this time is going to go beyond the conversation to be reality, um, he, he didn't accept the idea very well. And lots of things happened, which I won't get into, but um, a lot of those things that did happen involved communications with our bishop at church and other people at church where I basically became the villain of the story mm -hmm. and because I was the one who wanted a divorce right and so 
it just I when I met with my bishop privately I did not have a good conversation it did not go well at all I felt like I wasn't being listened to I felt like he had already made up his mind with the side of the story he had heard before talking to me he didn't care to know what my side of the story was I felt very judged I felt like why am I even having this conversation? This is a waste of time. And so after that happened, I decided I'm not going to go back to church. And because I just, you know, I lost, I lost confidence and respect on, on, on a certain degree for my religious leader. (laughs) And I'm like, what am I going to do there? You know, sit, sit there and not like, I can't listen to him (laughs) anymore. And from there, um, once I stopped going, um, to church, I noticed that nobody, and I mean, this is a very tight knit community that I was a part of. I had served in leadership positions within the women's organizations before nobody ever reached out to me. It was, it felt so odd. So transactional it's like I've spent the last three years with some of these people, four years going to church, serving, and not one person is checking on me. Like they know I'm still living here. They know this is happening. Like what is happening? This is just, it felt like a very transactional um, thing. Like, oh, so you only care while I'm in church. If I leave, then it doesn't matter anymore. And I knew that not to be true from having served in the positions that I had served in before, that when somebody doesn't show, people do reach out usually. Mm -hmm. And so it was very unusual how it all happened. And it it hurt me a lot. I felt felt very lonely. I felt betrayed in many ways. Lots of other things happened throughout the divorce where my ex-husband and I we're still sharing the house. We eventually got to a point where we weren't living in the house together, but we were, I guess the correct term for it is nesting. We would uh, switch off days who was in the house with the kids. And so when I wasn't here, I was at my mom's. And when he wasn't here, he was with his sister. And basically... During that whole time, more things happened, including with during the divorce itself, because my lawyer and his lawyer were also members of the church, where lots of things happened that just were not okay with me and started making me feel very uncomfortable with the whole idea of why do we even go to church? Is it just to check off boxes and say that we do all these things and we're these perfect members who, you know, can go to the bishop's office and answer these questions of worthiness and say, yeah, I'm doing all of these things that the church expects of me. But in reality, I'm living a life that is not aligned with Christ at all Mm -hmm. and is not spiritual um, in any way, shape or form. And so that created more internal conflict for me that drove me further apart from the church. There was obviously more trauma that happened in that process in my involvement with, you know, people that were in the church, like even the lawyers themselves. But 
Um, but that was kind of how it started. That was really what drove me away from the church. I had had, um, I, I didn't grow up in the LDS faith, uh, Latter-day Saints or AKA Mormons, as most people know, uh, the religion I, I converted after my parents got divorced. So I grew up Catholic. I went to Catholic private school and everything in Brazil. And then I had my rebel years as a teenager where, where I wasn't into religion at all. And then I converted to, to be LDS. And so basically I had spent 20 years in the religion and I was very faithful. I followed everything to a T, but I had questions. I, I think you could say I was never your typical super faithful Mormon that never questions anything or that when questions come up, they'll just brush aside, say, no, this is the true church. And I, even if I don't understand, God will make it right when I get to the other side kind of a thing. I could not think that way because I, first of all, I don't think I'm hardwired that way, but also I think... Uh, the fact that I was a convert to the religion, I, I just had a different perspective. But there were many things that over the years, that 20-year period that I had questioned, I didn't, um, I just kind of pushed it aside because I was married. I was like, all right, I got married in the temple. I'm going to go to the highest degree of celestial glory when when uh, we die. Every Families will be um, sealed for all eternity. We're good to go. So I can, you know, kind of push these things aside and not worry about them. And so when uh, when the divorce happened and all of those things happened that drove me away, those questions became burning questions for me that I had pushed aside for so many years. And then there were lots of things in the doctrine that I was like, you know, I'm really not okay with this. And I don't, I can't find a way to reconcile. But pretty much for the last, um, I would say up until maybe a month or two before we met in, in, in Texas. So very recently I felt like I was in a spiritual limbo, if you will, because I had all these questions and all of these doubts about the theology or the doctrine of the church in so many areas. But part of me still felt like, well, it could be true. I could maybe see myself going back one day if I can resolve these things in my in my mind and, you know, sort of find peace with the fact that nobody's perfect and all these things that I went through, like it was just people being perfect and whatnot. But I didn't, I never felt comfortable enough to go back. I The times that I've been to church throughout that period, these almost, you know, three and a half years, I'll say, it was only because I was taking my kids that was part of our divorce agreement that we had to take the kids to church if they wanted. Cause my, my ex-husband is very much a faithful member of the church. Still, he was born into it and he still is. And so that was something that he wanted to be part of the divorce. I agreed, but my condition was as long as the kids want to, cause I'm not going to mm -hmm. force them. So Whenever they want, they were with me and they wanted to go, I would take them and I would stay there. Those are the only times that I went to church, but I always felt very disconnected. 
when I went. I didn't feel like there was it was doing anything for me spiritually. I felt far more spiritually fed, if you will, by doing things on my own, whether it was going on a hike or listening to music, um, you know, more spiritual music or doing anything that... Uh, like even in prayer by myself, feeling mm -hmm. connected. And like I had a relationship with God that was my own. I didn't need the church to be a mediator. I didn't need those lessons. I didn't need people speaking from the pulpit to me. And so um, I felt in limbo. Like I felt like there was a part of me that was um, really, I'm, I'm not in it. I can't feel anything anymore. I'm just numb to this whole thing. But then there was this other part that was still kind of hanging on to it, hoping that maybe it was all true and I would have a come to Jesus moment at some point <laughs> and go back because I did feel lost spiritually. You know what I mean? Like I, 20 years of your life, like half of my life, having a spiritual home like a church that I could go to the community all of a sudden not having that I did feel lost I felt like I had lost a huge piece of my life and that I wanted to be able to say I'm open to recovering this at some point but then in the last few months before we met like a, a month and a half two months before um I I joined this community of women who have left the church or are questioning things about the church and they are on Facebook. I found them through Instagram and um, I joined this community and in there I hoped to find sisterhood. I hoped to find just a community of support. But what mm -hmm. I found in there, I did find that, but I found more than that. <laughs> mm -hmm. I found people sharing lots of things that they were discovering um, on their own journeys and doctrine wise. And um, I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't looking for that. But it was really important to me because when certain things were shared in the group that I saw, I was like, I'm not okay with this. I need to look into it. And I am a super researcher, <laughs> like just having yeah. my academic background, like you said in the beginning of the introduction. I, I really dug into it. And I made sure, you know, a lot of those sources were actually sources from the church and something that a lot of times is said by those that are in the church against those who left or who are questioning is, oh, this is all anti-Mormon lit literature. And it's like, well, no, this is from the church, by the church, is just really hidden. <laughs> you mm -hmm. have to really dig to find it. You know what I mean? And probably nobody could find it before the internet was a thing. And right. even even 10 years ago, you know what I mean? So um, because things have evolved so much and so much more information is now available and things that get leaked and hacked and all of those things. So um, that changed things for me. That was like the tipping point where I went from, I feel spiritually homeless, but I maybe I'm still open to maybe find my way back to church one day to no, this is definitely not for me. And when that happened, it was a full blown crisis, <laughs> like in the making for me. And it was a, it was a huge factor in me actually going to the re 
to the retreat, to the event where we met, because I literally cried my eyes out for two straight weeks nonstop. I was just in this really dark place thinking, feeling like I had been betrayed by the church, by the things that I was taught to convert to the church. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like I was born into it and my parents indoctrinated me. I had chosen this. And now I was feeling like I chose I chose it based on lies or half-truths. Um, and so it was really, um, it was really difficult for me to deal with that during that time. I do therapy and my therapist was like, well, this is really just trauma. This is what this is. It's okay for you to mourn the choices you didn't make, or even the choices that you did make based on these things that you would have maybe made differently. Um, but you know, he, he worked with me to reframe things, obviously, but he made me feel like it was okay to feel what I was feeling at that point. And so going to the event where we met was really important for me because it helped me come to peace with the fact that I don't have to look back and necessarily regret the choices that I made. It was what it was. It changed my life. It did. In, in great part, I'm here because of that, because my ex-husband, I met him in Brazil while he was a, a missionary for the church. So if I hadn't made the choice of converting, I would have never met him. I would have never moved here. I wouldn't have my kids. So like it's this huge, yeah. you know, waterfall effect. And so, yeah, that was kind of um, what happened, but it wasn't something that was necessarily planned or that, or that was already happening before the divorce. It was all, triggered by the divorce and how that went down. Wow. So if I hear you right, you were praying for a come to Jesus moment, some guidance to stay or to go. And then you found this Facebook group and then someone in the Facebook group gave you this beautiful, not beautiful, this heartbreaking um, evidence about some of your, some of the churches, the Mormons doctrines and origins and doctrinal beliefs. And do you feel that with the Facebook group was kind of that answered prayer or that affirmation or that gift from God that you were seeking? It definitely was, although I didn't see it like that at the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because it gave me the definite answer, right? Like being yeah. in limbo is horrible because mm -hmm. you feel like you don't belong anywhere. But at the same time, and you don't know if you go, if you stay or what you do with your life, whatever limbo it is that you're going through. So it's a horrible place to be uh, if it's something really important to you. But at the same time, Getting the answer, especially when the answer you're getting is either not what you were expected or very negative um, in what you didn't expect, <laughs> in, like in your wildest dreams, it's crushing. And so obviously the gift is there and it comes later, but in the moment... Um, 
Yeah, it doesn't feel much like the answer, you know? Like, it's like, why is this happening? <laughs> this is not what I was looking for. But, you know, once once things calm down, then you're like, yeah, this it wasn't the answer I was looking for necessarily, but it was the answer I needed. Wow. Improvement at first glance looks like destruction. Exactly. <laughs> As- Yes. Oh, that's so helpful. I'm so thankful that you shared that beautiful, heart-wrenching part of your journey. Yeah. And and is it safe to say that the past three or four years in your personal life and in your spiritual life, which is all interconnected, but that is also affecting the beautiful changes that your business might be taking might this evolve your business might be evolving probably is evolving over the next years is there a connection there yeah absolutely i mean i've you know i i have a bachelor's in behavioral science i've always been really interested in psychology i didn't want to be a psych a clinical psychologist or a therapist although i've had many people tell me over the years that i should be um but i've just yeah. always loved psychology and then getting involved in higher education and teaching online, creating online courses and all of that. Um, obviously, that has to do with human development. There's a lot of psychology in that. And so it, all, it always felt like it was a part of everything that I've done. But once I got into coaching, you know, I think most people that get into coaching, no matter what kind of coaching, they first fall in love with it because of the transformation that happens. Mm -hmm. At some point, they've had a transformation in their life that was really meaningful. And for me, it wasn't any different than that. And but it brought back all the oh, I maybe this is why like I've always been a psychology nut, you know, and mm -hmm. but getting into then building my actual business and focusing more on the business aspect of it, what I quickly realized was that there's a huge amount of mindset work that's needed. You can't just teach the processes and the things that people need to do and guide them to find their own answers in that process. There's a lot of mindset work that goes into it because, as you know, I'm sure there's, you know, imposter syndrome and uncertainties and self-doubt and so many things that come into play um, that either make somebody go forward with it or stall forever mm -hmm. and never put their things out into the world that they want to create. And I've realized now that it goes beyond mindset like mindset is a piece of it and it's important but it's not everything it goes so deeper than that it goes to really the core of the work that we did when we were in texas which really has to do with our identity and our unconscious and the things that we don't even know that are there and so I, I very much believe that um, that has to become a vital piece of the work that I do, not only because 
I believe in it and I feel called to it, but it's because that's where real lasting change happens for people. Otherwise, you can just be on this roller coaster of I'm good one day, I'm bad one day, I'm good one day, bad one day, and never really moving in the things that you want to move and make happen for yourself. And so um, the spiritual side or connection to that is, to me personally, is the freedom of realizing that there is a divine in all of us, in each of us, and the only way to connect with that, like I don't care if you go to church or not, you can connect with that part. Mm-hmm. A lot of people that are, you know, churchgoers, they'll say, oh, but you need church for this. And I was one of those people at one point. I thought that I needed church. <laughs> Me too. I thought that I absolutely needed church to be able to connect with that piece. And what I've learned in for your listeners who are churchgoers, I don't mean any offense in this, take it as you, as you see fit for your life. But what I've learned for myself is, and I've seen this play out in many people's lives too, is that when you sort of outsource the authority of your life to someone else, like I'll say in my case was my religious leaders based on what they said is what I should be doing or shouldn't be doing, then where's my real agency Mm, in that mm. process? Uh, What, how am I really honoring what is true to me and to my soul? And so for me, that's where, um, you know, having the courage to really stand up and say, I love you but I don't care what you think about me (laughs) Mm -hmm. and really stand in your truth and really stand in what you believe and making decisions based on what is aligned with you in your, like deep down in the depths of your soul that you know is true for you. That is what brings ultimate freedom and fulfillment and self-assurance too. Like I'm not discarding God in any way, shape or form, because I think that when you know what's true deep down in your soul, there's a connection to intuition in that. Um, For me, that is very strong. If something doesn't feel right, I literally feel it in my gut. Like my stomach will go crazy in knots. I will lose my appetite. I can't like I can't function if something feels wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, something will happen, like literally physically, to me that I can feel it's just wrong, and I will get nudges of "you should do this, this, or that" um, right now. And I will tell you during that period of of time that I was going through my divorce, where the world was falling, like the sky was falling, it felt like, and I was not going to church. I had some of the most profound spiritual experiences in that period of time where I was literally praying to God for answers, for guidance, and I received them 
every single time. And I kid you not, there were so many things that could have gone wrong in my divorce that didn't because of those nudges. And to me, that was my intuition. But what I'm calling intuition is really my connection to to the divine. And so I really believe that we all have the ability to cultivate that within us. Um, And it's just a matter of self-trust. But for that, you need to do a lot of the inner work that has to do with your identity. And so I definitely want to evolve the business and even the the things that I that I offer, the things that I can work with my clients on to go there to that place where it's so much deeper and where lasting change can happen that goes way beyond just mindset work. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. I'm so excited. I got, I got chills while you were sharing. It's so, so, so awesome. And for our listener who wants to be connected with you and be served by you, how can they stay in touch with you in the amazing healing work you're doing in the world? Um, so I um, have a website, riseallin.com. You can get in touch with me there. I actually don't think the website has my, um, I don't think it has my social media links now that I'm thinking about it. Um, Many but, marketers believe that's for the best anyway, to keep people on your site while they're there. So I think I think you're doing the right thing. That might have been exactly the reason why I didn't put them in there. Yes. Um, yeah, we have a Facebook uh, Facebook page. Um, it's facebook.com slash riseallin.us. Also the Instagram account. Or you can find me also on Instagram just with my name, priscilla.hinkle. Any of those would be would be great. And for anybody who's more of an email person, you can always email hello at um, riseallin.com or um, here for you at riseallin.com, either of those. I love it. I love it. I will put all those in the episode notes. And then once you begin making these beautiful changes, to your business will would you be open to coming back on the show and so we can invite formally invite people to take part in them yeah of course 